You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clubo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hey, Cliff, how you doing? I am doing well. How are you, Bobo? Oh, same old, same old. No complaining. Oh, really? You're not complaining? Then that's different. That's not the same old, same old. Well, it's the same old complaint. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Anything new and exciting going on in your life? Uh, just been going crazy trying to get a hold of uh, Mark Marcel, which is impossible. Well, Mark listens occasionally. Mark, if, you, if you're listening to this, call Bobo. Because if you're listening to this, it's been another two or three weeks since we recorded it, and you still haven't spoken to him. Jerk. What a jerk. If I didn't love you so much, I'd really believe that, too. But anyways, uh, what else is going on? I got to go uh, coming up your way in the next couple weeks, looks like. Really? Nice. Nice. Keep me posted on that. I got some gigs coming up, so I got to be gone for some weekends. But Yeah, I think we'll be up there during the week. Okay, right on. Well, let, let me know. We can organize something at the museum if you want, or or not. It doesn't matter to me. Just love to see you. Yeah, uh, nothing official. I'm definitely going to check out the museum, but I'm not, I don't want to do an appearance or anything. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just come on by, and we'll take a picture next to your big your Bobo mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll get you more ass in the toilet seat. <laughs> right, right. Hey, well, I got some interesting news for you, Bobs. What's that? You know my spot, right? The 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 blueberry bog. Yeah. We pulled a cast out of there this week. Really? Really. That's that's the second footprint I'm aware of from the area, um, and the first one ever cast from the area. We've been hitting that spot for years and years and years. This year has been dead. Dead. We've been hitting it pretty frequently, too. You know, like once every week or two, somebody is out there for a night or at least a few hours, and it has been absolutely quiet all season long. And then Connor went out there with his parents, who were visiting from Colorado, um, and uh, Connor walked down the road. His parents got out of the car, like way away from Connor, and says, yeah, as soon as we got out, we heard a gunshot from up on top of the hill. And Connor goes, there's no roads or anything. Like, that's, that may not have been a gunshot. I mean, oh, isn't that interesting? Taking a walk around the swamp. Sure enough, Connor found uh, 16-inch impressions. They were kind of washed out. They were probably laid down when the water level was a bit higher, um, probably so probably underwater. But um, very, very interesting stuff. And whatever and whatever this thing was, it seemed to have a. I saw photographs of the print line. It seemed to be uh, bipedal, and it walked into the lake and straight across the lake. Like the pond thing that's there, you know that one. Um, there's a there's a layer of plants, or you know, just like algae and moss and muck, and you know, uh, on the surface of the pond, and you could see like a, a crease down the middle of it, right where the footprints were going into the lake. The thing just walks straight across the pond, and uh, presumably on the other side. But looking at both sides of the pond, no other footprints were found. But you could see them inside the pond itself. And at the edge of the pond. So pretty stellar week for us up here at the North American Bigfoot Center. Um, we're just looking at the cast downstairs. It's all right. The footprint much, looks much, much better. I can't wait to see that photo. But we got a great witness today. Um, not only a witness, but an author and a Bigfooter and a Beyonder. He does more than just Bigfoots. He's in other cryptids and he's written a book on it. And it's Mike Mays from the North American Woody Conservancy. Um, Long-time devotee, uh, highly skilled, highly knowledgeable, and a real honor for us to have on the show today. Yeah, so uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We want to get into your Bigfoot experience and also talk about your Black Panther research and the book that you wrote, of course, Shadow Cats, The Black Panthers of North America. So Mike, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond with us nerds. I'm sorry, Bobs, with this nerd and Bobo. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me. I know that I, I want to get to your book eventually because we want to address the beyond part of Bigfoot and Beyond. But let's start with Bigfoot because that is the first word in our podcast name. Um, how long have you been looking for Sasquatches and what got you into this? Okay, I'll kind of answer that in reverse order as far as what got me into it. I hope you speak backwards for some reason. I hope that's what's coming next, like backwards masking. That would be some talent that uh, I'm afraid I don't have that. But uh, going way back, I grew up in East Texas, and uh, I've been 
interested since I was a little kid. I saw the Patterson-Gimlin footage in a movie theater in a little town in East Texas, uh, St. Augustine, Texas, where my grandparents lived. And uh, something about seeing it on that big screen when you're, I don't know, seven, eight years old, whatever I would have been. Uh, you know, it had been out a while, but um, it was part of some kind of feature that came on before the main movie. And uh, just mesmerized me. You know, it's it's just stunned me. And uh, to think something like that could be out there. And from that point on, I was I was pretty well hooked after that. Checked out all the monster books at the elementary school library uh, to such a degree that the librarian got to the point where she only let me check out the, the monster books every other time I came. So the other kids would have a chance. And uh, she told me she wanted me to be a a well-rounded young man and, you know, read something else every now and then. So, so it goes way back. Um, and area where I grew up, it's big thicket country and, uh, lots of stories of the wild man of the big thicket and, uh, and such, uh, the term Bigfoot wasn't thrown around a whole lot back then. And it took me a while to make the connection that we might be talking about the same thing back home as we were up in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, but it goes, way, way back. And like a lot of guys my age saw the legend of Boggy Creek and just that kind of cemented the interest. As far as getting into any actual kind of research, um, in 2005, I was on a camping trip, me and a buddy, and uh, we had uh, done a little casual browsing of, of both the BFRO and at that time the TBRC databases. And we thought, well, you know, let's, let's look into this and l- let's find an area that has sightings and we'll camp as close to this area as we can. And we'll just look around a little bit. And we had made several trips without much of any success. And uh, then in May of 2005, we went on a trip and we decided what we would do is we'd, we'd take a nap once the sun went down and get up around midnight and then drive these forest service roads out in the forest. And, uh, as luck would have it, we the moon was big that night, and it seemed like everything in the in the woods was moving. I mean, we saw just every critter that was out there, and uh, we crested a kind of a rise in the road, and uh, out in front of us, uh, I was actually looking out the side window. I had wasted a hundred dollars on a Gen One monocular. It was absolutely a piece of trash. Was it the night owl? It might have been. <laughs> it very well might have been. And I was determined to get some use out of it. So I was actually looking out the side window. I was in the passenger seat and my buddy brought the vehicle to a stop. And I just kind of swung all the way around to look at him. And he's like, what is that? What is that? And he pointed down the road and, oh, I would say 25, 30 yards in front of the vehicle. There's a this thing standing in the road, clearly on two feet. It's illuminated. We're we're on the downside of the little rise, just a little hill, and uh, we were actually in his small car. It was a Mazda Protege, if you remember those. And so the the from about the waist down was illuminated fairly well, and uh, but the upper part, torso on up, you you could see it. It was kind of like in silhouette, but you you could tell it was there. It was reddish brown, kind of the color of melted chocolate if that makes sense to you. And uh, it uh, was kind of three-quarter facing us. Uh, the impression I got was that we walk, we came up on it as it was walking across the road and it had paused to turn to look at us. And uh, it took, as it was looking at us, it took one little sidestep with what would have been its right foot and then brought its left foot and leg around. And my impression was it went back the way it had come. But we saw the arm swing as it uh, as it walked by, it took two steps to get off the road and one step over the bar ditch and was in the woods and was gone. And, and we never saw it again after that. But uh, that kind of sealed the deal that uh, okay, I, I would really like to see one of these things again and look into this. Is that when you got involved in the NAWAC or the TBRC, I guess, at that time? Um, it took a little while. We... Um, we discussed whether or not we should tell anybody at all, you know, and, and to be truthful at that time, if, if I had not had somebody with me, I'm not sure I ever would have told anybody. And, uh, we sat on it for, if memory serves until October of that year, 
And I had seen TBRC member came out. I was a member of an outdoors group called Legacy Outfitters uh, at the time. And we had monthly meetings. And uh, one of the TBRC members came and gave a talk about Bigfoot in Texas at that meeting. And I talked to him afterwards. And, and he, he was a good guy and seemed perfectly rational and sane. And, and so we, uh, we molded over and, and we submitted a report to the TBRC um, in October of that year, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, went to a meeting not too long after that and ended up joining the organization at that time. So uh, how did that interest segue into Black Cats? Well, uh, what got me about the Black Panther phenomenon is growing up in East Texas, I didn't know there wasn't supposed to be any such animal. To us, it was just another you know, not a common animal, but by the same token, not crazy unusual either. It was something that uh, lived in the bottoms, just like coyotes and the hogs and everything else. And um, we blamed a lot of weird noises at night in the woods on on panthers. You know, you hear that a lot, something screaming out in the woods, oh, it's a panther, you know. And, and in my part of the country, when you say panther, you're talking about a black cat. You say a mountain lion or a cougar when you're talking about a tawny colored cat that we're also familiar with. So so they're that common that everybody, if you say the word panther, everybody recognizes, oh yeah, that's the black panther thing. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's kind of a Southern thing with, with the exception of Florida. Florida um, has kind of been pretty well educated on the, the plight of the Florida panther, uh, which I'm sure you guys are at least somewhat familiar with and endang- super endangered subspecies down there. And so um, that's been pretty well publicized. Uh, but anywhere else you go, when when, when you hear the word panther, it's, um, you know, the people are referring to a black cat. And, and folks down, down here that would scoff at you, roll their eyes if you said you saw a Sasquatch, would uh, be ready to fight you by the same token if you told them there was no such thing as a, as a black panther. Because you get a gathering of 20 people or more, you can't throw a rock and not hit somebody who hasn't seen one or has a family member or knows someone who's seen one. Well, it sounds kind of dangerous to be throwing rocks in groups of people that large anyway, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, it doesn't get you invited back. That's that's true. But <laughs> uh, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's a much more common phenomenon than, than say, a, uh, a Sasquatch sighting would be down here. So uh, you had seen them growing up? Or are you just always aware that they were around and because other people talked about them or? No, I've never, I've never seen one. You've never seen one, even still. I have not. Now, I've seen a mountain lion in uh, the, the uh, Sam Houston National Forest, which they're not supposed to be there either. But uh, that was that was your regular, you know, honey-colored cougar that you see on TV um, and in zoos and that everyone is familiar with. Um, I've not seen a black one, um, but it is something that's really just cemented into the lore of, of the South in general. And people, you know, you, like I said, you, you run into people all the time. Oh, I've seen one, you know, and they don't realize they've seen anything that unusual. So it's a, it's a much more common thing. I have as yet not seen one. I would love to, though. Yeah, when I saw one, I didn't know they, were, I didn't know they weren't supposed to exist. I thought it was just a black mountain lion. Right. And, and that's, that's the way a lot of people think that they don't realize uh, that there is no such animal according to science. Um, jaguars can be melanistic. They can carry that gene for melanism and, and be black. Uh, so can leopards. But the problem there are uh, leopards are African and Asiatic cats as a, and shouldn't be over here. And uh, it's thought that jaguars have been extirpated, hunted out in most of North America. So uh, it leaves a hole. And there's never been a documented case of a black mountain lion. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Bobo, tell me about what you saw. Well, I was coming back. um, I was coming back from Bluff Creek and I was heading over uh, the, the bald hills in Northern California, but road, just to cut through Redwood National and State Park. And I was actually coming up the road off where I saw my first Bigfoot just a couple, like maybe two or three months earlier. And it was broad daylight. And this, uh, there was a truck in front of me. And then I was about 50 feet behind that. 
And we're just going up about 20, 25 miles an hour up the hill. And this black mountain lion just trots out broad daylight and just cruises across the road like total. I mean, I know, I know exactly what a jaguar or, you know, leopard looks like. And this was, this was much sleek. It was a mountain lion. It wasn't built heavy. Like, you know, like the jaguars look like pit bulls, you know, they're stockier and thicker, bigger heads. And this was a full mountain lion. It wasn't until we were shooting a mysterious encounters episode with Doug Hidecheck and I was talking to him and Moneymaker, and they were talking about all these Black Panther settings in the Midwest, all over the Midwest. They said they were getting, when they were filming out there, they were trying to get Bigfoot stories, and they were getting 10 to 1 Black Panther stories to Bigfoot stories. And that's when I was told, yeah, they don't exist. I said, no, I, I've seen one. They're, they're no big deal. They're just a normal, regular mountain lion, just black. And I'm like, nope, they've never been, never been documented. Well, that, that's correct. And uh, there's a lot of people that give the exact same type of description that, that you just did. Um, but according to science, there's no such thing as a melanistic or black mountain lion. Um, now, there's a lot of debate about that. Uh, a lot of people point to the fact that the cats of the world that exhibit melanism that had this genetic trait are all spotted or striped cats, where it seems like that color that genetics to make that coat get a little out of control and and there you go the thing about this interesting about a mountain lion is that when they're cubs when they're young they are spotted but that goes away as they as they grow up and so they're almost in that regard kind of a tweener so it does make you wonder if they don't carry that genetic trait but like i said not any of the captive cats that have been bred have ever you know, put forth a, a black offspring. And so it's a, it's kind of a conundrum. People don't know what to think about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, you know, the, you're, that I've seen that famous photo on the cover of your book. What's the story on that? The black, that looks like a black, is, is that, have they, they ever figured out how big that was? It was, wasn't they guessing that thing like 70, 80 pounds or something? Well, it's one of those deals. It depends on who you listen to. Uh, that was taken, uh, that was actually still, uh, still taken from, a. A video that was shot in Iberia Parish, Louisiana, uh, several years back, and the people that were there, and I've spoken to to uh, a couple of the, the the family members that were there, they will tell you that was no house cat. That was a absolutely a big cat, and they're insisting that was a dangerous animal. That was a big cat. In, in your estimate, that seventy to eighty pound range is kind of what they tended to throw around. Now, Louisiana Fish and Game came out because they called them, reported the site, and they came out and they did uh, some sort of recreation. And uh, they came to the conclusion that what the family had seen was a house cat and nothing more. They bitterly, bitterly disagree with that. And now that was the official explanation that was you know, published in the papers and, and so on. And the family disputes that. Tooth and nail, they will tell you that was no house cat. And there are a lot of photos around where you could debate. Perspective, as you know, is always a little tricky. You know, I know where I was standing, but knowing exactly where the animal was uh, can make a big difference as to whether it was really something really large or or not, depending on how far away it is. And sometimes it's hard to get the witness to nail down exactly how far away they were from the animal they saw. But... In this photo, in, in that video, everything about that looks like big cat to me. It's it's long-bodied. It's got that long tail, people report. Those shoulders, it, it just doesn't look like a house cat to me at all. It's like a yeah, mountain lion. Yeah, and so I tend to, um, to believe that was the real deal and thus thought it was a great choice for the cover of the book. But... But yeah, the, the official explanation, if you were to go to look it up, you would find that they had written that off as a house cat and there's nothing, you know, nothing more to see here, folks. And and that was it. And but the family will bitterly dispute that with you. From what areas of the country do you get the most reports? I remember when they were doing mysterious encounters, it was the Midwest and upper Midwest. Where do you see a concentration of the Black Panther sightings? And where did, where don't you see them? I've gotten reports from all over. Um, the way this started, I started um, a blog called the Texas Cryptid Hunter blog. And because I do have an interest in in more than just one subject when it comes to cryptozoology, you know, you know not it's not just Bigfoot that interests me. I've got a lot of interest in 
the way it started is I did a post about a Black Panther sighting outside of Plano, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. And, you know, I did a little post, uh, probably no more than a thousand words at most. And then the, the inbox, my inbox just got flooded with people who reported their own visuals of these black cats. And each time I would do a post about it, the same thing would happen. And so these reports just began to accumulate. Now, my focus with the blog had always been somewhat regional, uh, you know, Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, to some degree, New Mexico, but basically the, what we'd call the American South. And uh, so that's where the bulk of these reports came from. The book idea, that, that was not something that was there from the beginning. It was, I had collected, I think I was up over to about 325, 350 reports that I felt were credible. I had a whole lot more than that in the file that were just kind of shaky to me. I thought, well, that, that could have been something else. It just dawned on me that, you know, I really should do something with this. This is a lot of data, and I couldn't find anywhere where anyone had done something where they kind of tried to put this together. And uh, so that's when I decided that maybe this would be a, a good book project. And uh, so because of that regional focus of, of the blog and where I live in Texas, that, that's where the bulk of this came from. While doing the extra research for the book, though, I've got reports from as far west as the Bay Area out in California to the Carolinas, uh, back to the east, and uh, as far north as Guelph, Ontario in Canada. Okay, because uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really hear many. Uh, I'm, I'm in Northern California. I don't, I don't hear almost. I think I've heard of maybe two out here, three, and then I, the rest I've heard, like you said, down, you know, east of the Rockies. Yeah, and it, you know, if you if you look at the theory that at least some of these might be melanistic jaguars, kind of a a relic population of jaguars, because ja jags were native to North America, most of North America, going back to the last ice age. And um, if, if you kind of cling to that idea that, okay, this is a population that maybe got cut off from the bigger breeding population down in southern Mexico, Central America, and the fact that melanism in jaguars is a dominant trait. In leopards, it's a recessive trait, but in jags, it's a, it's a dominant trait. If they were cut off from the larger breeding population, it, it, you could see where, you know, they would become all but a solid black population of cats, you know, up here away from, from the other jaguars, which, you know, that's one question a lot of people who, who doubt this ask is, well, if they're jaguars, how come we never see the, the regular spotted kind, you know, with rosettes? And the answer could be that they're cut off and, and melanism is a dominant trait in that species. And one of our guests on this show, actually, uh, Joe um, from the Montana Vortex, he he saw uh, the spotted one, whatever, jaguar down in Arizona, I think. Yeah, Arizona about three years ago. Yeah, that'd be right. Several have been seen in Arizona, um, a couple in New Mexico. And my, my understanding is there, there are young males that are probably – looking for the new territory, looking for females. Uh, the females tend to stay pretty close to where they were born. Um, their range is much smaller than the males. So uh, if they ever get a female on camera, you know, out there, that's going to be real exciting news because that means there's probably some breeding going on in what, you know, in the United States. So, yeah, we I don't get many reports at all. Of the, I get a lot of mountain lion reports and I get a lot of um, – black cat reports. I don't get a lot of uh, reports of the spotted jaguars. That's interesting. And then we used to hear, I haven't heard about these lately, but these look more like African lions, like these black cats in the upper Midwest. And they had like a mane, but the mane was like only on like a chin beard. It was like, it wasn't on the top of the head. It was all like kind of on the throat and the upper chest. Do you get those reports ever? No, I've not. I've not. I have actually gotten a report of African lions before. That's the way the witness put it. It was an African lion, you know, and, you know, the exotic pet trade's pretty big in Texas in the South, so it very well could have been true. But I've not gotten anything along those lines when it came to a large black cat. Um, they're, they're pretty 
pretty standardized. The descriptions tend to be very similar. You get a lot of reports, people that they'll compare them to dogs because that's what they're familiar with. They'll say it was the size of uh, my, my Labrador Retriever or my Great Dane or whatever. And they, they report this really long tail that's kind of curled in a J shape. And those who do estimate a weight anywhere from 50 to 60 pounds up to 120, 150 sometimes. And, you know, you got to give or take a little on either side of those, uh, you know, with, with witnesses who see something that startles them. But, uh, but clearly, you know, they know it was, it was a bigger than normal cat that they saw. Um, but the, but the descriptions are pretty standard. The one I saw, um, I thought was a, a, um, a German shepherd at first. Um, we're uh, driving home from a night investigation in southern Illinois while filming Finding Bigfoot. It was actually after the first night investigation, and uh, Matt Moneymaker was driving the car. He saw it as well. I was in the passenger seat, and actually another car or two um, full of people saw it as well. I know Adam Foskey, our tech guy, he saw it as well. And I thought it was a German shepherd kind of trotting in a strange way towards the the highway on the side of the road. There's a rural highway. You know, there's a ditch and stuff out there, and uh, it, it was a dark dark charcoal gray color. Um, I didn't say, I can't say it was black because I saw on the tip of its tail, a black cap and, and also on the tip of its ears. Um, I saw it well enough that I could see that the tip of its ears were also tipped with black and it was going towards the, um, the, the highway and barely off in the side of the right hand side of the road two maybe three in the morning. And, um, as it approached the road, I said, oh, that's a strength. There's a dog. You know, it's going to be careful. But then it said, no, that's, that doesn't have the shape of a dog. And the, and the long tail was behind it, kind of slinky and kind of moving, you know, uh, not, but it wasn't a dog's tail. It was a long, thin sort of tail, about maybe the side, the length of the body itself. And then it turned and started trotting, I guess, parallel to the road. And so I got to see it, you know, probably from 30, 40, 50 feet, probably like 50 feet away, thinking about it, on the side of the road as we passed it. But it was clear as day, a mountain lion that was dark, dark charcoal gray in color because I could see the the parts of its body that were actually deep, deep black um, that differentiated with the charcoal gray. And again, that being the tips of the ears and the tip and the end of the tail. So. Um, I don't know how many reports you get out of Illinois, but that was that was a little startling for us. We're looking for Bigfoot, and we see a black panther. It's kind of a bum out in a way, but <laughs> well, it wasn't a total loss of a trip, at least. No, it was cool, but you know, I'll trade it in for a Bigfoot. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, th- th- that's a that's a fairly uh, not that the topic is mundane, but as far as as it's a pretty mundane, pretty typical description of of what I get. Uh, the um, the long tail you mentioned that said it looked almost as long as the body. I hear that over and over and over again, and um, that's very much a mountain lion type characteristic. Uh, a jaguar tail is not as robust, not as thick, not as long as as a cougar's tail is, and uh, makes you wonder, you know, about you know the theory of a of a melanistic or a black cougar. Uh, the one thing I, I often wonder about with that is you know uh, mountain lions are are two-toned they're they've got your honey blonde color on the dorsal surfaces but uh, the throat the bellies the inside of the legs the ventral surfaces tend to be a cream color or almost white the chins so you know in my mind i wonder if they're not if they're mountain lions if the dominant color is black um why are we not getting reports of that that two-tone uh, the, the the reports I get are monochromatic cats. They're they're black from top to bottom and tip to tip. And uh, there are even those who say that as it turned and the headlights hit it just right, or if it was a daylight sighting, you know, when when it turned and the sunlight hit it just right, you could still see the spots underneath the black coat. Um, and that sounds more like a like a jaguar that's uh, exhibiting melanism than it does a mountain lion. So the, it's you know, it's a mystery. It's um, it, it's very unusual, and yet I think uh, one of you guys mentioned it was about ten to one uh, as you were you were up in that Midwest area of black cat to Bigfoot sightings. That that's that's pretty typical. That's pretty much the case down here as well. Have you looked into the black panthers and large cat sightings in England, the UK at all? I have not done a lot of that myself. Uh, I 
felt like, you know, I had my hands full with with what I had here. Now, I have corresponded with a gentleman named Rick Minter, who's done a lot of work over there on that side of the pond. And uh, he feels strongly that however they got there, that there is now a population of these big cats over there. They call them ABCs over there, uh, anomalous black cats. And um, they're just convinced that they are now there. Now, I think pretty much everyone agrees they were likely introduced somehow by humans who released them or in some some manner they, they got there via humans. But uh, they're there now and they're establishing themselves in that uh, environment over there. Okay. So you think there is a population of them there? Well, I, I don't, I'm not as schooled on it as far as what's going on over there to, to give you a definitive opinion, but I know Rick, he's firmly convinced uh, that they are there. It seems like the evidence I've seen, like the cattle and sheep that have been killed, it sure looks like mountain lion kills I've seen over here. It does. It certainly does. So you think that there's more than one species of these things going on here in North America? Like there are melanistic mountain lions and are melanistic jaguars and whatnot? Um, or or is, are we looking at a different kind of species in general? I think that as far as the reports that we get, a variety of species are likely responsible for that. One, you, you have to always consider mistaken identity. I think people rarely lie when they report one of these things. I do think, though, from time to time, they're mistaken about what they saw. Um, we have a small wildcat, supposedly relegated to just extremely south Texas, southern Texas, ranges down through Mexico into Central America, South America. It's called a jaguarundi. And most people are completely unaware that this animal even exists. And uh, it basically comes in two what they call color morphs. One is kind of a chestnut red color, and one is a deep charcoal to black color. And they're really odd-looking cats. They have kind of this flat head and the the super long body with a very long tail they're they're almost otter like in their appearance they look really unusual and uh they really don't get that much bigger typically than uh, a big house cat would but they look so different that i think a lot of people who see them think that maybe they're seeing a, a larger animal at a greater distance than they really are now they're not supposed to get as far north as central Texas, Louisiana, and across the south, but there's a, a lot of folks who think that they have established themselves along the whole Gulf Coast all the way to Florida. There's an organization in Florida that's actively looking to, to get evidence of the Jaguarundi in Florida right now because um, there have been so many sightings. But, but that's, that's one species that I think is at least partially responsible for some of the sightings. I do think mountain lions, be it because they are black or, or they're seen in low light conditions. And, you know, a typical mountain lion can be kind of an ashy color that they'll range from a reddish blonde to uh, what we would call uh, a strawberry blonde down here to that honey color to, to this ashy gray. And if you saw that in low light, it would be easy to think that that was black. I think that's one possibility. And then the jaguar explanation is another one that is talked about less is really large feral cats. I don't know if you guys have read much or, or seen much about this feral cat problem they have in Australia, but these things apparently, at least on occasion, are growing to the size of small leopards, you know, 40, 50 pounds. And one was shot, uh, they called it the Gippsland Panther, and uh, they did the DNA test on the on the tail that the hunter saved and it came back as Felis catus, which is just your house cat. But this thing was better than six feet from nose to the tip of the tail. And anybody that saw, sees a six foot long cat is not going to think that's mom's tabby. They're going to think, you know, that's a, that's a Panther. That's a big cat. And what does it weigh? Oh, that one probably would have weighed in the, probably if I'm remembering that 60 to 75 pound range. Like so many of these things are, it's a little shady because the guy supposedly he, he kept the, he kept the tail as a souvenir and he threw the body in a river. So what was uh, what was the DNA testing that was done and the measurements that were extrapolated were from 
the tail itself uh, that the guy had. And uh, but there were photographs taken, and it was clearly a much larger than usual cat. One way or the other, did it really weigh seventy five pounds? I don't know, but it was really big. You, you can tell that in the photos. And there are other accounts uh, where people have seen these things there walking in close proximity to other wildlife of known sizes and photographs taken and such. And, and they're coming back as domestic cats. And I've talked to a few people who say that there's really no reason why over a few generations, why a domestic cat with no natural predators to keep it in check you know they're mean they're tough they're ornery and there's no reason that they they couldn't grow larger over time and uh so it's possible that we're seeing some of that as well is there a novel species out there that remains to be seen yeah that's an interesting avenue of inquiry have have, have there been uh, reported instances of uh um melanistic ocelots I'm not aware of any ocelots, but I know um, there have been reports, you know, there are melanistic bobcats that are seen from time to time, servals. Um, like I said, a lot of the the striped or spotted cats of the world do exhibit melanism. I'm not off the top of my head recalling an ocelot, but that's a Texas cat as well. But it's it's pretty small, though, so it would be eliminated as a, as a suspect in most of the reports I get. Most of the what I see are much bigger. Yeah, the web clocks them out at like over 40 pounds, which is a, a good-sized bobcat too. So, Absolutely. And from a distance and under poor lighting and stuff. That, who knows? Who knows? I mean, but it, they would have to have some sort of a coloration um, thing going on because ocelots would be – you couldn't confuse that for a uniformly dark-colored anything, really. So you wouldn't think so, but I, I will say this: I I'm a little more sympathetic toward you know here in Texas, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, uh, and some of these other wildlife agencies across the the South. Uh, they're they're very skeptical. They're very doubtful that these animals exist. But it's hard for me to to blame them. I worked out at a state park here in Texas. Uh, I'm, I'm, I teach school during the the fall and winter and and sometimes i'll pick up something in the summer just to keep myself busy and i worked as a summer park ranger out at a state park here in central texas and we got people telling us they'd seen a mountain lion they'd seen a mountain lion and they swear to it and you go down there and it's a bobcat you know people really don't know their wildlife anymore they rarely get off the concrete long enough to to get familiar with what's out there and so these these guys get reports all the time just like that. And so it, it I don't really blame them for being skeptical. I, I have a harder time when someone presents a video or a photograph like the Iberia Parish cat that, uh, you know, the photo on the front of the book where people are just kind of blown off. And, and, and that that's a different animal. But I do know that they get a lot of reports from a lot of folks who really are not familiar with what they're seeing. Well, and when you combine that with uh, um, poor quality of observation skills that most people have, um, observation is a skill that you can hone and get better at, and you have to practice. Um, and particularly when you putting you, when you put your observations into language to try to convey what you saw, that is a specific skill set that many, many I'm going to say most people lack. Um, they can do their best at you know describing in general terms, but um, observation skills are something that you have to actually practice. And I know police officers and other people that might go on the stand to support their claims um, actually are trained in this. So um, the, the general public doesn't have that sort of training, unfortunately. I mean, from a Bigfoot perspective. So. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It applies to to the, the black cat topic as well as the Bigfoot topic. Uh, and you, you throw all what you just mentioned into the equation along with how fleeting most of the visuals are. Uh, so you, you don't have great observational skills to begin with. And then, you know, something, a second, maybe two, and the animal's gone. And, and you were taken completely by surprise when you saw it, you weren't expecting to see it. And, you know, almost before you realize what's happening, it's, it's out of sight, it's gone. And it makes for a difficult recipe to try to figure out what's going on. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. 
So are we looking at another one of these situations where um, we're going to have to have a, a, a dead one of some sort? Or do you think that this is a problem that perhaps um, game camera photographs can, um, you know, can solve? I fear that it probably is going to be the same type of situation where to completely remove doubt that there is such a thing as a, a, a black cougar or that melanistic jaguars are back in the American South again. I, th- I think you're almost going to have to have a specimen taken. I'll give you a couple of examples of why the game cam thing is, is so shaped. There, there are a couple of photos that make the rounds on a yearly basis. And people send them to me all the time. And this was taken by my friend. This was my friend's game camera out here or there or wherever. And it's it's a picture I've seen a hundred times. And I know the origin of it. Uh, there's one in particular that was taken in a South African game reserve of a, of a melanistic leopard. And I know who took the picture. I know where it was taken. I know when it was taken. And yet, it circulates on a yearly basis that uh, this was taken in Texas or Louisiana or Oklahoma or somewhere like that. And it just, you know, a lot of times with these with these photos, you just don't, it's hard to track down the actual origin. Where, where did they really come from? Where were they really taken? And that, so that's, that's always going to be a doubt in mainstream science's mind. And I think... I think it probably will take a specimen. Uh, And we actually, I actually had some hair samples that were sent to me a few years back. A gentleman was traveling down a farm to market road in central Texas and pretty lonesome stretch of road. And he said this big black cat came sauntering across the road and, and he hit the brakes and, but he hit it. He struck it with his vehicle and thing rolled over a couple of times, got up, kind of shook itself and slunk off across the road uh, under a barbed wire fence and into a wooded area. And he damaged his car. You know, he sent me some photos of his car. You can see where the, the front uh, was was dented in a little bit. And he he managed to pick off some some hairs off the the vehicle. And he sent those to me. And I contacted every university biology department in the state of texas that i could think of and got only two replies and one was a a university from southeast texas that i was pretty familiar with the head of the biology department he responded to me and he proceeded to tell me that yeah this was exciting because he had seen one himself a black panther um down in a little community called anawak in southeast texas not too long after one of the hurricanes had blown through and he would he said he was a he was a herp guy. He wasn't a mammal guy, but he said he was going to get with his mammologist and, and talk to him and get him to talk to me. Well, I never heard back from him. So after a couple of months, I emailed him back and his whole tone had changed. He he just said, oh, there's no such thing, you know, and, and we're not interested. And clearly his colleague had gotten to him and given him a hard time about it. And um, he no longer wanted or was willing to take a look at what I had. And then the second guy was from South Texas and he was the head of his biology department. And he told me, you're wasting your time. There's no such thing. And I said, well, he said, there's no evidence. And I said, well, what if I told you I thought I had evidence? And he said, there is no evidence. That was his first argument. And then he replied with, uh, when I, when I told him I might have evidence, he said, your evidence cannot be valid because there's no such thing. So it was just this circle they're not real because there's no evidence. And then when there's evidence, he said, your evidence can't be real because there's no such thing. And it was just this circuitous argument. And, uh, you know, it was, it was maddening and I could not find anyone to look at it. And, uh, a friend of mine who is kind of a lab rat, you know, he's kind of guy that has his own microscope and does this kind of stuff for fun. We got our hands on a what they call it was a hair atlas, you know, animals of the world. And he looked at the, the hair samples under a microscope. And he said that the closest match he could find were leopard. He said they were not exact matches, but that was the closest match. And he said, you really need to have someone look at these. And I said, well, I'm trying, but uh, I can't find anyone who's willing to do it. So these, these samples are sitting in my desk drawer in an envelope, just, I'm hoping one day I can come across someone who's willing to to look at them and maybe do some DNA testing at some point in the future, something like that. But uh, 
but so far no no one has bitten on it. Well, along those lines, I mean, uh, you know, I, there are some people who are scientists who actually listen to this podcast. If they wanted to reach out and they wanted to do this with or without the blessing of their academic institution, um, how would they get a hold of you? Well, they could email me. Um, uh, you can contact me through the blog. It's the Texas Cryptid Hunter blog that I write, and there's an email address on site there. Uh, but I'll I'll give you my email address right now. It's uh, it's Mike Mays, and that's spelled M I K E M A Y E S four four at yahoo.com. That's just a personal address. They can contact me there. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm hoping somebody sometime will take a look at them. And what I don't want anyone to. I'm not asking anyone to foot the bill for like DNA work. But what I really would like is someone who's familiar with morphology of, of, of wildlife hair uh, to take a look at it. And, you know, if they can clearly rule out hog and dog and some of the more common things that might be out there, as my friend did, but if they can confirm that, then at that point, you know, I'll, I can foot the bill, you know, for, for the DNA stuff. Uh, but I just want someone to, to be able to take a look at it under a microscope and tell me, Oh, that's definitely this, and then we can then we can be done with it. Or they say we we're not sure what this is, or the closest match is that, and that'll tell me whether it's worth pursuing or not. But uh, well, you know, um, I don't think I would uh, lend out the hair. I think I would take it to a biology department or biology student, or you know, get out in um, in your group or something to take a couple pictures of it under a microscope because that's. Basically what you do, right? Yeah, I'll back you up because that's exactly what my friend Mark did. We, we did take photos of it uh, under the microscope, and those were sent out with each inquiry I made. And uh, along with his description of what he was seeing, be they guard hairs and scale patterns, and here's you know all the structures of the hair, here's the root, here's the tip. And easily eight or ten pictures were attached to every inquiry I sent so that these people could look at them. And uh, no interest at all. And, you know, it would be one thing if they looked and said, oh, no, those are clearly hog or something. Then, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. But just no reaction whatsoever. Nobody seemed to want any anything to do with them. And Mark was very adamant that they weren't hog, they weren't dog, they weren't they, mountain lion, they weren't uh, just any of the typical kind of animals that you might see in Central Texas. They didn't come from that. Um, any of those suspects. So, you know, just again, uh, I'm not claiming they're, they're necessarily the, the real deal, but I would like to find out. Now, even if uh, you got a DNA test on these things, wouldn't, uh, couldn't it just come up as Jaguar? Or, or is the melanism gene so strong or so evident, or I don't even know, so I don't know much about it, but like, w- would that show up, you think, if you did a DNA test? I think... If it's a known species, it would show up as that species. Um, and, you know, jaguars, both of the common variety and the the melanistic variety, you know, they're part of the, the gene bank. I think we should be able to get a match if that's what it was. And uh, that, to me, would be every bit as exciting a story that jaguars have returned to not just Texas, like down along the border, but central Texas, I think that would be almost as exciting as a new species discovery. I think the, these animals reclaiming their former ranges, I think that would say something good about the environment and what we're doing with it now. We're doing a little better and that these things are able to come back. And, you know, it, it would just be a tremendous story of conservation and, and of wildlife bouncing back. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be disappointed in that result at all. Now, if it turned out to be something novel, that would be very exciting as well. It sounds like it's a money thing, honestly, because I've spoken to people like in the DNR or whatever, the, you know, the Department of Natural Resources or whatever they call themselves in Pennsylvania who had seen these black cats before. And uh, maybe not the people had seen them, but I was discussing the possibility after speaking to witnesses in Pennsylvania who had seen them. And they say, well, yeah, I mean, but does the government, does the state want to spend, you know, X number of dollars doing a management plan? Um, like, and, and I don't even think, uh, you know, I, I'm going to correct myself. I was talking, I'm talking about um, mountain lions in Pennsylvania. 
which aren't widely accepted, if I remember right. And they said, well, they don't want to spend the money on a management plan. So they're going to kick that can down the road as far as far as they can and just put that off so they don't have to divert even more resources, resources when they've, they've been uh, stretched so thin to begin with towards this issue. And I think that's probably the same with Sasquatches, actually, too. It's just like, well, there's so little money available for that sort of thing. We can't stretch our resources any thinner than they already are and do a good job. So let's not worry about it until until, you know, we'll burn that bridge when we cross it, so to speak. Yeah, so maybe it's just one of those things. Like recognizing such a species would be problematic for those people in charge of managing species. Well, I agree with you 100%. And I do also feel that's a similarity with the, the Sasquatch phenomenon as well. Um, we talked to a, a ranger in the Sam Houston National Forest years ago who said, he wouldn't be surprised if someone brought one in this afternoon. So they know they're out there. Uh, and when it comes to these cats, I, th- I think it's the same thing. But I think, as and this is yet another reason why I think you're going to have to be able to take one in and plop it on someone's desk and say, here, it's real. Now, now you have to deal with it, you know. Um, whereas if it's just fuzzy photographs and secondhand witness reports and, and uh, things of that nature, you know, well, th- that's just a myth. That's, that's not real. That's just a rumor. And, you know, you don't have to spend money on managing myths and rumors. Uh, so I th- I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with that theory. I don't think it's some insidious conspiracy. I think it's, they're stretched about as thin as they can be right now. And the last thing they need is to have something else thrown on their plate with no doubt it would have an unfunded mandate to conserve or study, you know, these animals and get population numbers and, and until they just, until it's literally right in front of their face. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I say, I talk about this Bigfoot thing a lot and like, uh, you know, there's several members of the government that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty reasonably sure are witnesses and stuff. And they don't want to, their, their whole thing is money. You know, that seems to be the reason you get in the government is to get rich. It seems nowadays. Um, why would they want to spend resources on that? You know, when they can line their own pockets with it. So, uh, it just seems like, well, we'll let the Bigfoots take care of themselves for now. And we'll worry about that problem when we have no other option whatsoever. Absolutely. I, I agree with that hundred percent. And frankly, the Bigfoots are doing a really good job at it anyway. And then the people who think that they're UFO right and interdimensional whatevers are discrediting the subject to such a degree that no one takes it seriously. By the way, do people think that <laughs> do people think that black cats travel uh, on UFOs or interdimensionally? I haven't heard that particular theory yet. Um, this topic doesn't seem to attract quite the uh, shall we say wide range of personalities that the Sasquatch phenomenon seems seems to attract. Uh, it's it's pretty much witness reports uh people just very matter-of-factly saying what they saw i've never heard anyone say they saw one getting off a flying saucer or anything like that so uh, i suppose there's a first for everything but but not yet okay yeah i think that's a reasonable question to ask when we're talking about other cryptids and whatnot um yeah, because we are a Bigfoot and Beyond show because both Bobo and I do love the weird. Whether we think it's real or not, I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself now. I don't know what Bobo thinks. Um, it's hard to tell what Bobo thinks, and I know him well. But um, as far as myself, as far as I go, I love the weird. Well, as far as Black Cats and Bigfoot goes, uh, what's next for you? You know, you've already published a, a book on uh, the Black Cat thing. Um, I know you're uh, very active with the, the um, NAWAC. What's on the horizon for you? Do you have anything um, that you're pretty excited about coming down the road here? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually closing in on finishing a, uh, a book that's based on our my experiences and the experience of the NAWAC as a group covering the last 10 or 12 years of our research and work down in Area X. You know, a lot. there's a lot that's been put out there that's matters of public record, you know, uh, but there's a lot that isn't. So I'm closing in on finishing that up, and and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I think uh, it's going to be a fun read. I think people who are interested in the topic will really be wowed by, by some of the things that have happened down there um, that we haven't talked a whole lot about publicly um in the past well what's going on at area x uh well right now we're kind of in our off season right now we'd kind of gotten away from uh looking into 
sighting reports for a while because initially the reason the group was taking the sighting reports was to try to establish where these things live in, where do we need to go look? And once we, we got into X, we, well, we know where they live. So there was less of an emphasis on that, but we're going to try to, um, to get back to doing more of that uh, in the hopes that maybe we can find another area where, you know, we believe that uh, as we're learning about some of the behavior of these animals, they're also learning a lot about our behavior. And so if we can find another population somewhere that's, for lack of a better term, uneducated about how we go about doing things, we think we might be able to, to secure the the evidence that we need to prove this thing once and for all. But uh, you don't, you don't get much time like that. I mean, they're so savvy. They, they figure out like, by the time people, go, people figure out like they're on their property or like they, they see them all the time, as, as soon as they get savvy, like, okay, I'm going to put up some cameras or I'm going to start doing this, try to get some evidence. They, they're, they're hip to you and they're, they're already changing their behavior. Oh, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And we, we've, you know, there have been situations that have come up. Uh, oh, I can think of one, for example, one of our members was driving out of X and got a flat tire. And so he he had to walk back to base camp to, to grab some guys to give him some help. And as he's walking back, he got shadowed, you know, all the way back. And he it really rattled his cage pretty good. And um, so we thought, okay, great. So we, we, we're going we're gonna to try to recreate that scenario. And so we send, we, we send some guys out a couple hours in advance and they take up positions out in the woods on either side of the road. And then we have a guy come along later and, and kind of fake car trouble, you know, very similar scenario. And they just never seem to bite, you know, uh, it, it, it's really uncanny how, how sharp and cagey they are. Um, and, you know, it's just they don't seem to make the same mistake twice. They make mistakes, but they don't repeat them. And uh, you just have to find yourself always being ready because you never know when that novel, that new mistake might occur. Uh, so we, we're, we're going to get together. We're going to try to talk about some new things we can try, hoping that by presenting something new, some new behavior might present itself and, and, and one of these guys might reveal himself to us uh, even for just a few seconds. Uh, so that's coming up. We'll, and of course, we'll have our summer operation like we do each year down there and keep plugging away at it until, until we get that evidence we're looking for. Hey, Mike, what's the deal with uh, Area X with those tracking uh, little beacons you thought you had on a Bigfoot before, like those cockleberry ones? Do you have, how many of those do you have deployed? Have you had any luck with that this year? Yeah, the, the nanotag trackers. Yeah, the we had deployed those. Uh, we did get one. We tagged an animal. Now, I obviously I can't definitively definitively say that it was a, a, a wood ape or a sasquatch. We believe it was based on we were able to get multiple data points over the next year, and it was a very wide ranging animal. Uh, the home range, for lack of a better term, was much larger than most common animals down there would be. Uh, it was bigger than a bear. Uh, plus, we also tracked this thing's movements during uh, the winter where bears are in torpor. You know, they're, they're denned up, they're asleep, and uh, they're just not moving much. Um, and this thing was just all over the place, valley over one mountain, down into another valley, you know, two valleys over, and uh, just this big, wide range. And there's just nothing else that really fits that you know that description and we tracked it we we had ground teams we, we had a plane up in the air uh getting the hits and we had ground teams that were taking direction and we got close to it on multiple occasions we felt like we were within uh 100 200 yards of it but it would always retreat into such dense vertical country that we, we just we just couldn't get to it and it was just became apparent it was just a joke to think we were gonna uh run this thing down on foot, you know, and, uh, uh, eventually the battery, uh, battery life was about a year and then it quit transmitting. The battery died and, and that was it. So we, we got data on the movement of the animal, but you know, we never were able to, uh, get that tracker back or, or track down the actual animal. How many, how many do you have out now? 
Oh, well, right this moment, there are none out because we're not out there uh, actively in X at the moment. We will put those out when we start the summer operation and they'll stay up. Oh, for, I would say probably, you know, six, seven months, um, we'll put those out. And, uh, and the thing about it is, you know, you've got to have somebody there with the, with the antenna and the tracking uh, device to, to, to get the hit to know one's been activated uh, as of yet, you know, what we're hoping for one of these days, we'll get a, a tracker like that, that uh, we can monitor when we're not in, in X. What would that cost? Oh gosh. Oh, I don't think it exists yet. So I, I couldn't even tell you, but you know, you, you got these game cameras now that can transmit images. And so I'm hoping that eventually something like that will be commercially available to folks like us, uh, but I'm not even sure that technology exists yet. But we'll put them back up in the summer. We'll have about about a dozen out, and yeah, we deploy them. We get them, stash them in these cockleburrs and uh, on the string trap across game trails and places where we've uh, suspected that are travel routes or where we've seen someone's caught a glimpse of one, things like that. And it, it looks like some piece of leaf litter or something that's that's hanging up in a spider web and i'm sure you guys know you're you're walking down the trail you run into plenty of spider webs so it it doesn't look like anything that's out of place um and we we did have that success initially and we're hopeful that it'll happen again but we've had several summers since then and we we haven't uh we haven't snagged another one since so uh, again, it may be a case of, you know, they're not making the same mistake twice. I don't know. I don't know how they could possibly think that was some kind of threat. Uh, I, I think you guys, I think you guys got one. I just think it, I think it was more of a, a miracle than a lot of people realize. I mean, cause just to, to last that long without them picking it out for whatever reason. Yeah. And we, we actually, we, we kind of hoped it would pick it out because again, you know, Find it, trying to track the hunt the actual animal down on foot through those those woods is just impossible, and so we were hoping maybe it would get picked out and it would discarded and would keep transmitting and we could find the tag itself. And at that point, it should have hair adhering to it with follicles. Yes, exactly. So there, there you would think there'd be DNA evidence with it, and. Um, but we just, but it just seemed to to stay on the animal till till the thing ran out of battery life. And if people want to read more about this, it's, it's available for download on um, woodape.org. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's called the Tag Seven paper. It was there's no real reason it's called Tag Seven other than it was the seventh one we hung up. So you can read that, get all that. It's also, uh, like I said, if I can ever get done with this book, there's a whole chapter dedicated to that in the book as well uh, that'll get into it. But uh, I, I think, Bobo, you're right. It, it was miraculous, and I think we got fooled because it happened the first summer we deployed them, and we thought, oh, we'll, we're going to be able to duplicate this. We're going to be able to make this happen. Look how easy this was. It was just a matter of a few weeks, and boom, we had one. And uh, in the years since, nothing. We haven't had one walk through. So so I think we, we got fooled thinking that we were going to be able to repeat this pretty easily as well. And I think you're right. The, the longer the time goes by, the more miraculous it seems. The next period could very well be tagged 3,742. <laughs> I hope not. I'm not, I'm not sure I'll still be around then. But, uh, but you, know, we, we, you know, it's just one more thing in our little bag of tricks. We're, we're going to. An old basketball coach told me we're going to throw every rock in our pocket, and that, that's what we're doing. Well, all right. Well, Mike, you have a lot of projects in the works. You've uh, had some successes with the book and whatever in the past. Um, and again, for people who want to check out Mike's book, it's called Shadow Cats, The Black Panthers of North America. Um, I have not read it yet, but I'm going to pick up a copy for myself and read it. So um, if people are interested in reading a little about Mike's research, there's that. We look forward to your Sasquatch book coming out. And, of course, wish you guys all the luck in the world, uh, that Area X and wherever else you guys uh, find yourself a Bigfoot home and to do research at. So thank you very much, Mike, for coming on the um, the podcast here. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really, really appreciate the invitation. Enjoyed it very much. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I hope to meet you someday in person. That was a nice conversation. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. 
All right. Well, Bobo, that was a that was a fun one. A little bit of Bigfoot and a little bit of Beyond, but not like the spooky paranormal Beyond. Just you know, another cryptid, black cats, which you and I have both seen, so we know they're out there. And it's good that somebody like Mike is actually doing the footwork and uh, gathering those reports and publishing about it. Yeah, I want to I want to see that book because I mean, we hear so much about black cats. I mean, and there was no real definitive book written until he did it. I mean, I know Lawrence covered it and Nick Redfern and those guys covered it in like an amalgamation book of different cryptids, but to do just the large black cats in North, you know, North America, that was the first guy. Just listening to Mike for the last hour. So obviously he's very intelligent, very well-spoken. And I got to assume that the book is very well written. So I've got to pick up a copy of this and get into it. Yeah, for sure. Well, all right, Bubs, you want to take it home? Home and away. All right. Yeah, well, thanks to Mike for joining us. That was another interesting conversation. Good guest. And we appreciate you people uh, tuning in, listening. So hit like, hit share, tell your friends and family. Listen to Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 